I am Plata on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. As docs of the Documentary Film Festival begins today, running until May 16th, Vancouverites and Canadians alike will uh, get another chance to see the seminal documentary Fix, the story of an addicted city. The film was released in 2002 and for a lot of people changed their view as to how drugs and addiction were to be handled in a city like Vancouver. The film's director and co-producer, Nettie Wilde, joins me again to discuss this film, the people in it, the larger issues that the film contends with, and what's happened since, and a lot has. Ms. Wilde uh, set out uh, about 20 years ago to document the opening of Canada's first safe injection site. She documents a struggle as Anne Livingston, the non-user organizer of Vandu, the Vancouver area network of drug users, and Dean Wilson, an outspoken drug addict and former computer salesman mobilized the downtown east side community to action. They have an ally in Vancouver's then-mayor, Philip Owen, who, when we meet him in the film, in his business garb, dancing to big band music, is a square. He's the leader of uh, the NPA, Vancouver's uh, right-wing political party, and over the course of the film, we see him in action, uh, working towards the goal of a safe injection site. Owen, Livingston, and Wilson have to counter the business community's argument against it, not to mention Owen's own party. It's a compelling film, a marvelous time capsule of Vancouver as it was 20 years ago, and a look ahead to what's happened in the years since. We are in the midst of not only the COVID pandemic, but we recently passed the fifth anniversary of the health emergency of the opioid crisis. Safe consumption sites is, are not only acceptable, but in demand, not just in Vancouver, but elsewhere in the region, in the province. Nettie Wilde is the award-winning filmmaker of uh, such movies as uh, A Rustling of Leaves, Blockade, and Kona Line, are bland beautiful. She was first on the program two years ago when Doxa screened her critically acclaimed A Place Called Chiapas. Visit CanadaWildProductions.com and visit DoxaFestival.ca for tickets on how to stream Fix, the story of an addicted city once more. Please welcome back to the Plant Online program, Nettie Wild. Ms. Wild, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. So uh, the, the, uh, the screening of, uh, the, the, of Fix, the story of an addicted city, is part of DOXA. Um, it, it's awfully timely. I mean, it's, it's uh, the 20th anniversary of the festival. It's nearly, the film itself is nearly 20 years old. But, but the subject at hand, I mean, um, uh, as uh, Dean Wilson says in the movie, it, it's... Um, Addiction is is one of those things that's um, I forget the quote now. It's it's uh, it's timeless, isn't it? It's it's something that happens all the time. It's with us. Yeah. We live with addiction. Addiction is part of the you know the human um, psyche, the human soul. I think. Um, and what what needs to change is our attitude towards that. And that's of course you know, what fix was all about mm-hmm. way back then. And, you know, very unfortunately, we have to say that it's still front of mind. In fact, I never would have thought when we made fix that I would say that the situation was where it could get worse. And it's many times worse. Yeah. So but- it's really a, it's, it's both, um, you know, the film is timely for so many reasons. Yeah. Yeah, it 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 um, the fundamental. Um, I mean, it's it's about addiction. It's about this the, this um, uh, safe injection site. But but I think the fundamental question of your film, as I was rewatching it recently, um, is that um, because you see this in, in in some of the protest signs uh, at the time, and we see this in your film, um, th- that a group of people uh, would 
or felt that another group of people were expendable and um i guess that's the, the, the that's the, the the basic question i guess of the film isn't it is is what, why do we do that yeah you've hit the nail right on the head you know it's it's um we have to address that core we have to look that deeply into ourselves and say you know despite all the liberal sounding kind of sounds we might make at the bot at the end of the day are we saying that some people are just expendable mm-hmm. you know that they're too expensive um, they're too hard they're 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 too difficult they're too smelly they're too whatever right yeah. and we can turn our uh, turn away and and that is what is so interesting about the people who say no, in fact, we're we're bigger than that. You know, our our community is better than that, and and that's what's so intriguing about um, Anne as an activist, mm-hmm. um, Dean as somebody who is um, addicted to drugs and who is an activist to try and change attitudes towards that, and then there's Philip Owen, who mm-hmm. is this super, cons- you know, on the outside, this super conservative-looking man, part of, at that time, a very, very conservative party. And he comes up against that, and he goes, holy smokes, I, as a human being, am ha- I'm going to have to do what is completely counter at the time to what is politically expedient. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to have to do the right thing. And that makes him a very curious and interesting character. And I think, you know, I've always said that uh, the moment when Philip Owen decided not to run for the third time for mayor, a very popular mayor, really loved being mayor, and yeah. he decides not to run because his own party is out to get him. Yeah. And and when he decides not to run because he'd rather step down than be pushed down by the ver- by his colleagues and friends, long-time colleagues and friends yeah. who have turned against him, when he decides to step down, that's the moment Vancouver woke up. That's the moment people went, wait a minute. If that straight guy is willing to put his political career on the line, something's up. And... Um, that's what's so interesting, and, and I think I've always thought that uh, the, the building of social movements mm-hmm. is like building kindling. There is many, many, many times when, the, when various different people had made very strong, compassionate, economic, political choices, you know, pushing our community towards... Um, such a moment of, of recognition of human rights, really. Yeah. And the spark, uh, there were sparks, but it didn't catch because the kindling wasn't built up high enough. Mm. And I think what happened was because of all the Anns and the Deans and many, many other people, the Portland Hotel Society, the yeah. um, street nurses, the you know progressive health care workers, progressive cops, Lots and lots and lots of people had laid kindling, but it took a critical mass uh, for when the next 
spark struck, and that spark was Philip Pullen, yeah. and it it took off, yeah. and uh, it it is what basically elected Larry Campbell, and yeah. he ran remarkably on a platform of vote for me, and I'll open. North America's first safe injection site. And that's kind of like part two of FIPS, right? Did, that's, yeah. what, that's what happened afterwards. But it's, a really, it's all around that question that you talk about, where people dared to now say, you know what? These people are not shit on our shoe. Yeah, yeah. They're our brothers, sisters, uncles, mothers, fathers. Yeah. And, and that, that... Fathers, sons. And and that that's that's something that Ann Livingston has has felt her whole life, is it hasn't it? I mean, she's not a drug user, um, and yet this has been her life's work. Was she the first person that, that you, you probably made in the course of, of making this film that that you thought, yeah, this is going to be a movie? Yes. When I saw Ann Livingston, I went, "There's a movie." Up until that point, I wasn't interested. I didn't think the downtown East Side needed another movie. You know, we'd already seen so many sure, pictures, yeah, people yeah. slithering down wet walls and back alleys. I just thought, oh, you know, these people don't need it. But um, Bud Osborne, actually, mm. um, uh, very well-known and much-loved poet of the downtown east side, told me that there was a meeting that was going to happen in the bowels of St. Paul's. And they um and he said, you might be interested in, in going, because he and I at that point were thinking about developing a dramatic film script. Uh-huh. And um, I went to this meeting, and, you know, not expecting anything cinematic, because it was a meeting. And I walked into this room, and it was packed. And it was packed with people who I had worked or seen before. These were um, leaders within the... Um, uh, AIDS movement, mm-hmm. and there was a, 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 a provincial prosecutor. There was um, a former cop. There was uh, street nurses were there. There was a lot of users. It was a really interesting crowd that was just kind of vibrant and thumping, you know. Mm-hmm. And then this woman came up on stage, and it was Anne, and she said that they had all been to some kind of a conference a week before. And she said, I'm angry. We all know what we have to do, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to open a safe injection site. Uh, Anybody here in this room want to join me? And she just had this phenomenal energy. She was Anne. She's she's a, a force of nature. And I just went, holy smoke, she was bright. She was gorgeous. She was compassionate. She had the gift of communication, and she she's a terrific storyteller. And I was just smitten, you know, yeah. and I thought, wow. And then Dean Wilson stood up, who I'd never heard of before, and he's another, you know, incredible kind of rock star. And that as, as, a, as a filmmaker, you're looking for people who are, you know, um, leaning into the camera, who mm-hmm. are bigger than life, right? And here is not one, but two of them. Yeah. <laughs> And then I realized the room was full of them. The room was packed. And, you know, many, many times um, people uh, ask me, oh, how could you spend so much time in such a dark place uh, making this film? Because the film took, in the end, we were filming for 14 months. Uh And um, I always said, because these people have a firm 
grasp of the light at the end of the tunnel. They are the light. Mm. It, this is these people are exciting, and it was really interesting because I thought I was going to make a movie about opening North America's first safe injection site. Uh-huh. Fourteen months later, there still wasn't one, and I had ended up making uh, beginning um, to weave a, a profile of the beginning of a, a social movement. Yeah, the um, the the uh, there's some some difficult scenes to watch, and that's just me because I, I don't like needles and the sort. But um, uh-huh. the, the the scene uh, where it's two women in the alley and and one is injecting the other with um, I guess through the neck. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I mean, it's one of those things where you know you have to sort of skip over, but then you end up seeing it twice because <laughs> you yeah. know you have to go back again because uh-huh. you miss your place. Um, but, but but the person in there um, near the end of it, um, you t- t- you just talking a moment ago as you did about the, being the light at the end of the tunnel, um, explaining their story, how they ended up there, what childhood was like. Um, Wasn't that something? Um, I, it's I, one of the I, more powerful I, parts of the movie. Yes. She, she delivers what I refer to as the soliloquy. She, after having jugging the, jugged her friend, yeah. she stands up and unprompted, nonstop, just boom, delivers the story and ties in her backstory, mm-hmm. why she was there, what she'd gone through. She made the entire harm reduction argument but she wrapped it in her own personal story. And it's just, and she's as articulate as the day is mm-hmm, long. Mm-hmm. And she's just finished injecting her friend with heroin in the neck in, on the ground in an uh, alley in the downtown east side. And she is really, that is the heart and soul of Fick. Yeah. She delivered it. It's the thesis. Yeah. You know? And that's the thing, you know, like you get a window into a human being. Yeah, yeah. A human being with a huge backstory instead of just a statistic that, you know, people are embarrassed about and turned away from, you know? Yeah, yeah. She was amazing. And she's also, the last image of Fix is her pounding on the window when the the, the drug users... um, Transitions uh, drug user center is being closed down, and they have to move out. Mm-hmm. They're pulling out. They're pulling out the boxes and loading them into the car. And who comes down the street and pounds on the window right into our camera? That car. Yeah. The same person, and it was just like holy smokes. Yeah. And so we knew we had to end on her. She was just amazing. I read in uh, Travis Lupick's fine book, Fighting for Space, um, that uh-huh. uh, you, you'd filmed with Bob, Bud Osborne, um, but he didn't make it into the movie. Is that right? I never filmed him. I see. Um, but Bud, Bud was in um, a very vulnerable space um, when, by the time we started filming. Mm-hmm. And um, having been a public figure for so long, um, that was not to be his role anymore. And he was, you know, he he retreated. He retreated from our camera, and he was retreating at that point. And um, while we were filming, he died. I see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the, we, we followed Dean Wilson as um, he tr- tries to get off drugs. It's often very graphic. Um, yet, I'm sure you had conversations about what what he was going to show 
in the film and and perhaps what not to it seems we see we see everything literally um what, what did he want to convey say in in terms of 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 what we see in the film i mean was that something that that he told you he wanted to do or that he wanted to show say well you know he starts the film by saying by the time we finish this movie i'll be clean mm. and so you know there's somebody who's saying and you're allowed into my journey and so the question then is why? Why would why would somebody like Dean allow a camera into something so intimate? And you know, on the one hand, you could say, well, he's a showboat. You know, he he enjoys being the center of any kind of attention. But but there's actually a, a, a deeper level to that, and that's that. Um, I think Dean, like everybody, really really wanted people to see him. You know, to yeah. see him and to see his story, and um, and it was very fortunate for us because um, you know to have somebody like Dean who allowed us into the roller coaster and Anne mm-hmm. and Philip for that matter, but particularly those two was really extraordinary. You know, there was there was one point where Anne, after she saw the film, she said, after all, filming all those. Meetings. Why did you have to include so many scenes of me in my nighty? <laughs> <laughs> and I said to her, you know, it's um, when we were looking at the rushes, the scenes between you and Dean were what screamed at us were the ones that were going to provide the backbone of the story. Because really, Fix is about um, uh, whether or not it asks the questions, is Dean going to be able to get off? heroin because he states that it's his goal and the other is is he going to get the girl you know and that sounds trite but it's not it's not because it's really hard to love somebody who's wrapped up in addiction and so the underlying you know call you know it, it, we never even quite knew what was happening with Anne and Jean because yeah. you know most of the time you don't right human relationships are are muddled and confusing sure, and sure. complex and they come then they mystify all of us even when they're in the middle of them yeah. <laughs> but but what was really the driving force is that you you just saw there was this you know um yearning for tenderness and uh and also you know Dean is difficult He's yeah. like a traffic accident. So to fall in love with a traffic traffic accident is difficult. And so there's this kind of yin and yang, this pull to and fro, which is at the at the which really drives fix. And then the those two themes, you know, struggling with this addiction and struggling to have a relationship. All the other stuff, all the politics, it comes for free. Yeah, yeah, you know, because because it's a universal story. It's something we've all lived through, and and then at the center of it, you go, yeah, and and there's a third huge story, which is the addiction itself. Yeah. Right? So so you're, you're you're rooting for Dean and Anne. Um, you see this early on in the movie where where you know these sort of exchanges that they have these 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 smiles on Anne's face that that. Um, um, you know, they, they, they're different than the end that we've seen in the in the in the news over the, you know, the the end that I guess yeah. we're used to is the the one the one scene in the movie that that that, that pops up on Twitter from time to time is uh, with with the the, the 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 Sun reporter, yeah, and uh, 
so so that's the end that we know. And then in in the movie we and, see. And just for your listeners, sure. in 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 that scene, the reporter asks an earnest question, <laughs> and it's 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 I believe it has to do with whether or not she's um, considered treatment as an option. And yeah. Anne looks at her with this withering <laughs> look and says, "Have you?" any idea of what you're talking about (laughs) (laughs) and that's one of the reasons why uh six works is because anytime i needed a through line to push any any political point i could just turn the the camera on Anne or go into our bin and we'd find an Anne moment where she was taking a bit a bigger political issue in 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 this particular case, you know, treatment, of course, it's important and it's yeah. expensive. And unfortunately, it doesn't get funded, yeah. right, yeah. in a real sense. And I could always count on Anne to not only deliver the politics, but to absolutely throw a zinger at the camera. Yeah. <laughs> Just amazing storyteller and a terrific sense of humor. And, you know, Fix doesn't do Anne Livingston justice because... Film is fickle, and you can only put on screen what works. If it doesn't work, it doesn't matter how important it is. Mm. It falls onto the cutting room floor. And I asked Anne many times to tell me her backstory. And she was all, you know, Anne's always tired. And this kind of, she would do it out of duty, and she'd kind of trot out this really incredible backstory, but not not in a way that was galvanizing like that zinger that I just yeah. spoke about. Yeah. And so it never, the fact that Anne Livingston was raised in a family where her mother was the first person in her community that supported abortions, and that um, those, uh, there used to be young women who would come through Anne's house before and after the abortion, uh-huh. and it was a safe house. And Anne, as a kid, when she went to school, wasn't allowed to bring uh, friends back to the house because there were women in there who were vulnerable yeah. and who were either getting ready to go and have an abortion or coming back afterwards. That was, you know, that kind of commitment, that kind of background, the film doesn't um, go into that with Anne. And that's a huge yeah. context for her. The fact that she has been, you know, deeply embroiled in the, embroiled in the, in the, um, healthcare system, um, particularly since her eldest son had a really rough birth in a hospital and mm. came out of it with uh, cerebral palsy. So she has been, uh, you know, kind of um, battling the healthcare sister for the um, good care of that son mm. um, since way back. And all of that forms the Anne that, you know, many people see um, a tired and angry Anne. But what we saw was this um, uh, often tired, often yeah. angry, but also very funny, very compassionate, very beautiful woman. Indeed, indeed. Um, after the, the film's finished, um, you have to take the, the, the movie across the country, uh, touring the, the film. Um, <laughs> the, the nature of Dean and Anne's relationship at that point um, what was that? I mean, you, you were traveling, um, uh, you know, doing festivals, I'm sure. and, and, and well, well, the big difference was now there was a baby. I see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I always, and Philip Owen came on that tour. Mm. And we opened right across the country. Mm-hmm. I can't remember how many cinemas we played. Like, it was over 
we were in over 20 cities across the country. We had a full theatrical release, uh-huh. which meant we were in mainstream cinemas. We'd run for, um, you know, one week, often two or three. Uh-huh. And um, we would hold every uh, Friday and Saturday, we'd have forums after the 7 o'clock show, and either Anne, Dean, or Philip, uh-huh. the baby, uh, would be at one or the other, or sometimes all three, all four. And so that meant that I was on the road with whom I referred to as the um, the, the Christian, the the drug user, the mayor, and the baby. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it it, fold, it rolled out over about a three and a half four month period of time, mm-hmm. and that was a movie. That was incredible. We'd hit a town. And Anne would immediately go and try and uh, find the local drug user group, or if there wasn't one, try and start one. Uh-huh. Um, the mayor would head for the local mayor and the police chief and try mm. and get them to come to the screening. And Dean, because the the health authority here, for reasons that are beyond me, would not give him a methadone carry. Mm. He would have to try and go and score. And all of that would happen before the 7 o'clock screening. <laughs> <laughs> and the baby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was a wild time, and it was a extraordinary time. Two things really come to mind. Huh. I remember uh, at the end of the tour, um, Dean and Philip and I were in Quebec City, and uh, Dean uh, couldn't score. There was no heroin to be had. Huh. And so he was jonesing. He was really in trouble. And he, um, at one point, um, uh, Dean, myself, and Philip Owen were in the emergency ward of some hospital where they had found the one progressive doctor. And they were negotiating to get a methadone shot for... Mm. um, or methadone dose, rather, for yeah. Dean. And I remember Philip in that emergency ward, and his, he always dressed impeccably. He was always in a suit. Yeah, time, looked right? Brooks Brothers, yeah. Yep, and he was ready to go and start the show. And I remember him saying to this uh, emergency ward doctor, uh, he was looking at his watch and saying, you know, I, I, I know you're at your hands full, but um, can you get a move on? We've got a show to put on. <laughs> 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 in a cab and roared out there, had to leave Dean behind, had no idea if Dean would show up. Mm. Um, the, the, the film rolls, and then Dean has to come for the discussion afterwards, and just as the last credits roll, who rolls in the door but Dean? <laughs> yeah. And the other fantastic story I yeah. remember, yeah. Uh, also had to do with Philip, was um, uh, this was a tough this was a tough time for him because yeah. his political mm-hmm. party was trounced in the next election without him and trounced by the guy who basically ran on Phillips' program. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the party was really decimated. And so, and the party had really decimated Phillips. Yeah. So it was complicated. And we went, we rolled into um, Kamloops, I remember. And Kamloops, very conservative town around drug use. Mm-hmm. And had and still does, a big drug problem. And um, so 
myself goes and, you know, manages to get the chief of police out and manages to get the various different counselors and mayor out and whatever. But we're, we're coming into the screening and he's going, oh, God, you know, I bet nobody's going to turn up, right? And that the, the, um, the cinema manager said, you know, prepare yourself. It's in 700-seat theater and mm-hmm. you'll be lucky if you get 100 people. When we got there, it was so packed we had to we had to schedule another screening and after the film when i asked philip to come down to take questions the entire audience gave him a standing ovation wow. and the next morning when we met for breakfast he looked at me and he said you know in the end i won didn't yeah, i yeah, yeah yeah and i remember saying to him oh you big dope of course you did you know you know you, you won big time because you you went with the community, you know. But it was really moving, really, really moving to see the the toll that it all took on him and that little bit by little bit he started to understand that while he had been vilified yeah. by, by the, quote, establishment, yeah. he was being really honored right across the country uh, for doing what politicians usually don't do. Right. <laughs> yeah, I. They mentioned on, on Global News a, a couple months ago that he's not well. Have you been? Have you kept in touch with him over the years? Because I mean, yes, I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's struggling. Yeah. For uh, sure. And what about Anne and Dean? Have you kept in touch with them? Yeah, Anne just got in touch with me and said, you know, what? What is it? How's? When's it going to be shown at the doctor? How can we see it? You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I haven't spoken to Dean lately. I must do that. I'm hoping all this will bring us together again. But we can, over the years, we certainly keep our eyes on each other. I mean, Dean has become, um, you know, even more of a figure. Yeah. Um, both of them have. Because the darn crisis, not only did it not go away, it quadrupled right. inside. There's more people dying now. You know, it, it's, a, it's a bigger crisis than COVID. Yeah. And then COVID doesn't help as well, right? Which one is feeding the other. So that it's, uh, you know, these two are community leaders. Um, and, uh, yeah, they, well, they have risen out of this. They're community leaders who have founded and built a, a profound social movement. Indeed. Now, there, there are a couple of people in the film um, that participate. Uh, there's a VPD, I guess, Sergeant Doug Lang. Yeah, um, the, the, I keep in touch with Doug. Do you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering about him, and I'm wondering about the, the developer, Bryce Rostich. Uh-huh. Um, over the years, have their views changed on, on all of this? I don't know. It would be really interesting to, to talk to them and see, because I, I wouldn't want to speak for them. Um, the thing that's interesting um, about Doug was that he he was willing to come to community-based forums around FIX when the fi- when the film was released. Mm. And, you know, the thing that was great about him was that he'd been policing for a very long time. He had a, um, he, he certainly had his own views. He was very, didn't know what to think about Anne, you know. Mm. <laughs> um, he certainly was not, easily on board with the whole harm reduction scenario. Uh-huh. But he allowed our camera in. And it was a bit like the same reason that Dean did. He really wanted us to see how darn hard it was. He called it being a cop 
on the corner of Hastings and Main. He was the sergeant in charge of that mm-hmm. of that block, as he he called it shoveling water. Yeah. And um, so, uh, and and he was really willing afterwards. Who, he was the cop who was willing to have the weekly meetings with the drug user group, with the community, various different, um, the different players in the scene in the downtown east side. There were other um, officers who we tried to involve in the filming, and they wouldn't have anything to do with us. They were dismissive. They were dismissive of the drug users, and they were dismissive of anybody who wanted to spend time making a film about them. Very, mm. very wary that it was, you know, I was just going to make a piece of kind of liberal fluff that that um, pilloried the police. Mm-hmm. But the but it at one of those community meetings I saw uh, we actually filmed it and that's when Anne and Dean take a slice out of the police and Doug just r- rises up on his hind legs and says, Wait a minute, this is what I did today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and afterwards I went up to him and said we can stop looking for a cop to Film. If you're into it, you're it. Yeah. Um, and so I, I um, always deeply respected Doug for that. And um, you know, he was. Um, it'd be interesting to talk to him now that he's many years outside of the force. Right. Right. To, uh, what his views are, but um, you know, even within, even as um, a very central member at that point of the of the DPD. Um, uh, you know, we had another showboat on our hands, yeah. <laughs> in the best sense of the word. We had somebody who was living life to the full, who was doing his job as best as he could, and God damn it, he wasn't about to be quiet about it. So yeah, there, there's a, there's that was a, perfect for us. There's a scene, um, in, he's in his patrol car driving, and he's got those aviator glasses that we see Joe Biden wear. And, yeah. I mean, it looks like a movie star, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and he... Uh, you know, he he both um, loved his role down there, and he yeah, was troubled by it. Indeed, yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. Nope. and yeah, very, very interesting. He really that his big line is: you remember, he he nabs some guy, and he gets the guy to empty his pockets, and he's got bunk in his pocket, in his pocket, mm, which is right. fake dope, and. You know, so in in Doug Lang, he had somebody who knew what bunk was, and he also says to the to the to the camera, "This guy's a neighbor." Yeah. You know, we have yeah. to learn to live together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when uh, we watch the movie again as part of Doxa, um, what do you want us to think about? I mean, it's it, it's a lovely time capsule in a way because the city looks um, and feels a little bit different now. I mean, it was certainly the downtown east side. Um, you know, it's recognizable because it, a lot of it's still the same, but but it's it's also different in a way. Um, you know, you you, you mentioned the the, the 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 crisis there now, the 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 opioid crisis, the COVID crisis. Um, when we look back at the movie, what, what should we be thinking about? Well, where I go is I go oh, twenty years. Or twenty, I guess we're a little short, shy of twenty years. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in the same, in some ways, we're in the same darn place, right? So, don't make it twenty-one. Mm. You know, like move, 
we absolutely have to move. And now, um, with what we know from, um, you know, the COVID crisis and how it's, we've had this huge, co- this huge COVID crisis, but, but the overdose, dose deaths are still outstripping it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, if 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 we needed some kind of horrible benchmark, we got it. And the other thing is, in COVID, we've seen our community pivot and do the right thing. We can do it. And so now we really, really need to lean into initiatives which weren't around. There's lots of good things that have happened since we made six. Um, there are supervised injection sites open, but there's not enough of them. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Um, there are uh, the police department, the, the British Columbia cops are leading the way right across the country calling for decriminalization of, of drugs, of small amounts of illicit drugs, right? Um, so uh, it's the, the infrastructure is there. Thinking people have have put the pieces of the puzzle together. Now we have to embrace it as a community and say, go for it. Go for it the way we've learned to do with, with um, COVID. Really, really um, start making moves that make a difference and start saving um, way more lives, way, way more lives. And, you know, another thing that's happened in my life uh-huh. is that, um, uh, and I think this has happened to a lot of Vancouverites, we've lost a lot of our friends right. to, drug, mm-hmm. to drug overdose. And, um, you know, if you've been around enough, um, that starts to happen, and you go, my God, mm-hmm. that didn't need to happen. Yes. That person could still be with us. So... You know, that's uh, that's what I what I hope yeah. those human stories will do. You know, and and the big thing is is that I really hope that that people who are listening to this grab somebody in their life who maybe doesn't think the same way they do and um, is very very reticent to uh, to embrace um, a new way of thinking about what to do about. Uh, the drugs and people who use them in our community and get them to watch fix with them absolutely yeah you know that's a, that's a really easy first step and yeah. then just see where the conversation goes yeah i remember i remember when i saw the movie the first time um i would have been i guess 20 and um i always viewed drug use as a as a you know a question of morality uh-huh. and after seeing you know these people you know, it changed my my view. I mean, it took me a little longer, but but um, it took me a while, I should say. Um, but yeah, it, it does. You know, you, you just have to put yourself in someone else's shoes, and and you know, one of the easiest ways is watching a film, right? Yeah, it's a start. You know, I was so proud the other day. Um, they've um, in Philip Owen's name. There's a research chair that's been um, created at UBC, uh-huh. and the first um, uh, person who was awarded that chair was uh, a woman, and uh, in her, she was doing a series of interviews um, ex- explaining how she she came to this, and mm-hmm. she's going to be doing a lot of research into um, addiction, and especially around stigma, mm-hmm. um, around, because that, that stigma gets in the way of delivering good health care to Absolutely. people, right? Yeah, yeah. And she said that um, uh, one of the key events 
in her, in her turnaround, which also took years, right, yeah. was watching Thick. Wow. <laughs> and I was, I just thought, whoa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that felt amazing. And here she is so many years later, and she's accepting the first um, Philip on a research chair. And I thought, oh, wow, you know, it's only a movie, but, yeah. but sometimes it can start movies. If you can tell a story with a, in an engaging way that doesn't clobber people over the head, but mm-hmm. just really tickles their curiosity about this human existence, <laughs> yeah. um, if we can just do that, then maybe we're doing something. <laughs> Is that why you wanted to make movies uh, in the beginning? Well, I think um, I love telling stories. And um, one of the things that I have always been intrigued with these so-called, you know, people say, accuse me of making um, uh, uh, political feature-length documentaries, and I call them high-stakes human dramas. Mm, mm. <laughs> because, because I find that, you know, if you say to somebody, oh, you're going to go and, you know, go to a film about drug use, they'll probably run off in the other direction. Sure. But if you if you tell them that it's about this, you know, extraordinary triangle between uh, a longtime, you know, street hardened drug user and a faith based non using Christian mm-hmm. and a and a very conservative mayor then you've got them. (laughs) And so I find finding the, the, really leaning into the contradictions and finding, instead of going, oh, the audience, this is too complicated. The audience is going to be able to get this. Is to actually go the other way and go, hmm, uh, if it's it's feeling contradictory and a bit mucky in there, I'm probably onto something. And that something is the complexity of human life. And in there, there are surprises, and if I can surprise myself as a filmmaker, I stand a chance of surprising you, the viewer. And that's that's always um, what I find. That's my addiction. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, um, uh, we're we're going to look forward to watching uh, Fix again. But uh, in the meantime, are you working on something else now? Yes, I am. We're just we we did um a big projected installation on the Canby Street Bridge oh, in yeah, 2017 yeah. called yeah. Uninterrupted. And that is um, really interesting because it's where I've gone and where I am right now in my career. I don't know where else I'm going to go, but I've, I've moved more into the abstract. There's not an interview with a human being in the entire piece. Um, and we were projecting our images instead of on a single screen on a bridge. And what we've done... Uh, with that piece, we were going to we were trying to bring it back last summer to uh-huh. the bridge, but COVID got us, and we were planning anyway to go into virtual reality. So we thought this is the perfect time. So we're we've moved uninterrupted into virtual reality, and I'm working with some extraordinarily talented uh, developers, and we're we're changing the language somewhat within the virtual reality goggles. Uh-huh. So that we're learning as artists how to story tell in 3D, and then um, starting um, the uh, first weekend after uh, July 1st, uh, we're going to be launching 
Uninterrupted in Virtual Reality, um, and we're going to be um, doing it outside, and 20 people on 20 headsets, six feet apart, uh-huh. are all going to be watching Uninterrupted simultaneously together. And we're going to do this four times um, an evening, um, five days a week throughout the summer. So that's what we're working on right now. And I'm also in production with another piece, which has been is focusing on the um, herring fishery called Go Fish, and that'll be a multi-screen something or other. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, on it goes. And um, I'm uh, uh, my my former films. I'm very happy to say are being um, archived and redistributed. So really? uh, A Rustling of Leaves, my very first film, just had its premiere in the Philippines for the first time this last fall. <laughs> And a place called Chiapas had its first theatrical release in Mexico uh-huh. uh, the year before. So it's been very exciting times. Yeah, I'll, I'll bet. Yeah, and, and, and as a fan and an admirer of your work over the years, um, I, I can't thank you enough for, for taking the time to, to talk about Fix. And, and I, I remember a conversation a couple of years ago about place, a place called Chiapas um, and enjoyed that. So um, I, I, I can't thank you enough. Well, it's a pleasure. It's just lovely to talk to somebody who loves talking about movies and how they are made. So thank you so much for for being interested. The website's for more, canadawildproductions.com. That's uh, Nettie's own site. And, of course, doxafestival.ca for tickets on how to stream Fix, the story of an addicted city between now and May 16th. It's director and co-producer Nettie Wild. Join me on the line from here in Vancouver. I'm Joseph Planto.